Welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is Sharon Smith, and this is Iambic Presents Real Poetry. I am I am here with my two guest hosts, Marvin and Auntie Vice. Say hello, fellas. Hello. hello. What up? I was going to say fellas, but I know. It's like, that's ridiculous. It works. Yeah. It hello, works. We guys. all know Auntie Vice is more of a man than the both of us combined. I try not I, to I, say that since she's holding the ball. I got a big white ball in my hand, and I did um, finish repairing my bumper and painting it yesterday. So. You did. She's more of a man than us. Hi, Mom. I, I, I try hard not to bring that up because I did have a point where my family asked me, hey, so do you use the grill much? I said, no. Oh. What do you mean she does? It's her grill. She's on it more than I am. Oh, no. <laughs> I get How's that conversation? Turkey. I get the carb to turkey. <laughs> it's my job. Either here or there. All right, everyone. We are here to talk about the 1993 release of John Singleton's first movie, Poetic Justice. It starred Janet Jackson, Joe Torrey, Tupac Shakur, and Regina Givens. It also had in this feature Tone Loke. It also carried a few other a few other features that even surprised me. And it also had the poet who's also the, in part of this movie. Maya Angelou played a part of this. And also the last poets were in this movie. So Let's go. Let's go into the plot. I'm going to basically start off with the the give a little bit of the synopsis of the movie because it's best to start off with that. All right. Still grieving after the murder of her boyfriend, hairdresser Justice writes poetry to deal with the pain of her loss. Unable to get to Oakland to attend a convention because of her broke down car, Justice gets a lift with her friend um, Aisha. Aisha's boy, um, post worker boyfriend in Chicago, along with the along with the ride is Chicago's coworker Lucky, to whom Justice goes close after some initial problems. But is she ready to open her heart up again? Now, this movie grossed. Well, this movie was budgeted at fourteen mil. Opening day, it only got 11 mil, but eventually it came up to 27 mil. Not bad. Yeah, I think it had like a pretty cult status going on. Like a did, pretty close cult falling, didn't it? It did reach cult status, yes. And it did it did get a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I want to hear from y'all. What do you think about this movie? No, I liked it. Uh, despite Rotten Tomatoes' review of it, I get why, purely because this was, what, the 90s? And 90s kind of had its own culture, its own era of how things were going on. And I feel like with John Singleton's, when he first did um, his first movie, Boys in the Hood, it spoke to that, a That was partic- number two. Boys in the Hood was the second one? Yes. Well, I this actually was, was the first, the first one. one. This is his first one. Okay, well, regardless, I feel like Boys in the Hood spoke to a specific era in the same way that Poetic Justice tried to, but I think 
with the nineties and even well into the 2020s now, just everybody wants a very specific volatile type of drama. They don't want that lovesick thing. Well, I think poetic justice has this great message of love and enriching one's own culture. I can see why it had the 34% run tomato score. Not that I agree with it. Okay. Well, what about you, Auntie Vice? Um, I thought it was a really great first movie, but with that, there were definitely, I like the way the New York Times review summed it up is it was a good movie, but it's a total mess. Uh, <laughs> like there, yeah. were a lot, there were lots of issues. There were, there was problems with some of the writing. Um, the acting by quite a few of the actors was not very strong. You could see Singleton trying to get his feet as a under him as a director. Um, and there's definitely things, moments where it's hard to suspend your disbelief because you really feel like you're watching people act out the scene rather than actually be the characters. They didn't really become, most of them didn't become the characters. Mm. Um, you have the big fight scene on Highway 1, and it really felt very staged. Like I was telling Sharon, and the way they staged the fight is the same way I set up orgy scenes in my erotica. <laughs> it felt very formula. Uh, there was nothing organic to some of the scenes, right? So, and I think part of that is just, this was his first feature film. Um, you know, the actors were all make a new. Make one slight judgment. Actually, this was the second feature film. Or second feature. I looked yeah. at it. Boys of the Hood was his first. Oh, was it? Boys yeah. was his first, and it got a lot of nominations. For him being, it got a nomination for him being Academy Award actor, um, best director, and also got nominated for best original screenplay. Gotcha. This one was 1993. His of justice. This one he did, he, he, he did director, writer, and producer. Yeah, it's just it didn't feel quite as grounded and developed as it needed to be. Like you could see what he was trying to do, and there's at points where he gets it, but a lot of it was like, eh, this is this is definitely above like a Hallmark rom com, mm-hmm. um, but it isn't on par with some of his other films. Like this is clearly an early piece for him. Yeah, when he's still trying to get his sea legs as a director. Yeah, and. And learning some of those tricks that directors do where it where it makes it feel much more authentic and you know the the actors really come into themselves and stuff. I didn't see that in this one. Well, this this is actually interesting on this on the account. This is actually this as it's been pointed out, the spine of the movie is actually an uh reenactment of some parts are a reenactment of a relationship between Tupac and an old girlfriend Tupac had, which was named um Anne Marie. Um, she basically um, was a budding poet, and her her um, trademark were the braids. So the movie was basically took they took a lot of of Tupac's relationship with Anne Marie and put it into um, and made and made it into um, Janet Jackson. And it's actually a good fun fact: this was Janet Jackson's first movie, mm-hmm. and this was Tupac's second movie. They played it. So it's very interesting seeing those two as the lead act, the lead actor and actress, well, and yeah. being their first movie. Whereas Regina, Regina Givens and even even Joe Torrey, they've been doing movies for a while. And stuff. 
and them being the supporting actors. So it's funny how they got vice versa on that one. Well, it kind of makes sense, though. I mean, if you think about it, Tupac was pretty much at the peak of his career and fame. I mean, he was essentially, was he? No, I mean, this, was actually, heard... this was actually, this was actually his, he was still, he was fi- doing his album. He finished his out al- his first two albums when he got Which one? picked for this. All Eyes uh, on Me or? No, no, no. This is before All Eyes on Me. This is actually oh. America's Most Want, um, not America's Most Wanted. Uh, I'll find it. But yeah, it was his first album and, um, this was Janet Jackson's first movie. She'd been doing TV since she was a kid. And this was her first movie she came out with um, starring in. So, yeah. Well, well yeah, but like they were both kind of like reaching that momentum in their careers. I mean, obviously with Janet Jackson being Michael's younger sister and eventually a, a, a cultural or a musical and cultural icon in and of herself and Tupac with where he was headed in his tra- trajectory in the popular zeitgeist. I mean, it kind of made sense putting them both as the lead roles. Not that they were great, but they, I felt like they were pretty organic and there's a certain chemistry with them on the screen. Well, but you look at this and, you know, I think both single, well, all of them, Singleton, Janet Jackson and Tupac were all in their twenties in this. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it has very much the sense of that young, we still have energy. We haven't been disillusioned by the world. <laughs> this is going to be our great breakout project. And, you know, we don't want to be edited too closely or refined too much. And I think part of that comes that the main people involved in this were very young. And, um, you know. Totally. It, no, I could play a drinking game with all the times Tupac has said fuck. I'd be very drunk because like I would think of one scene he said fuck like 27 times or something like that. I think, I mean, he and Janet Jackson were like just going off on each other like in the scene before she like tells him to stop the truck and starts walking off and he's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, like continuously. (laughs) Both of them were, I could have gotten drunk if I wanted to play a drinking game with that. (laughs) His first album was called Tupacalypse Now. And then after that was Strictly My Niggas. So Strictly My Niggas was the time when this movie came out. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, so reaching that momentum in the height of his career mm-hmm. before his eventual death. Right. So, yeah, this is, this is, this actually, when Strictly, when Tupac is now and Strictly My Niggas came out, that's when he already had a, a, a movie cap with Juice. And then from Juice, the G preference he moved into this and actually it's a fun fact um ice cube was the first one to actually be um for the role of lucky but he declined it because he thought in his early in his career he thought he didn't want to play a romantic role i could see that with cube i could see that with cube like back in the day in his nwa america phase oh man yeah i could totally see that with cube which is actually interesting because Janet Jackson wasn't, even though Janet Jackson, this role was kind of molded to her. There was actually auditioned by Jetty Pickett and Lisa Bonet. And you know, Jetty Pickett you know, was friends fun- with Tupac. So yeah, yeah, I heard. heard. Yeah. But here's the funny thing. I cannot see the thing with Janet Jackson though, is in like looking at how Jada Pickett is, this was such a complete Janet Jackson role that I can't picture anybody else beside her playing. 
It's funny that you say it's uh, you don't see nobody else because the Razzies, the Raspberry Award, mm-hmm. gave her a uh, Razzie for being the worst actress. Why? Because she was emotionless? Come on. Okay, that means... <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. For this movie. But dude, what, what the fuck do you want her to do? What her character do? She just literally witnessed her boyfriend's death right in front of her. She was about to like have some like premarital sex with him in her car at the beginning of the movie, and then all of a sudden the poor bastard gets shot. Right in yeah. front of her. What, do you want her to do a fucking backflip for you? Come on, Razzie. Yeah. It is interesting because that was um, her boyfriend. She, the guy who played her boyfriend was Q-Tip from Tricall Quest. So it was oh, actually shit, his, you're right. Yeah, that was actually Q-Tip from Tricall Quest. Yeah, a lot of rappers came to this movie. <laughs> a lot of rappers were in this movie. But so one one big thing is the poetry. So the poems that got pushed a lot were two main poems. Uh, the first poem alone. Which she kind of used in most of the most of the start of the um of the movie, and then the second poem was prom- was phenomenal woman was that's the ending that was the closing one, mm-hmm. and both of those were both done by Maya Angelou. She basically is the one that wrote poetry for this movie for for John Singleton before she got the role. So it's actually interesting how that became part of the Wilhelm to get this thing started, this character started. So, what do you think about the poem alone? alone. It's Maya Angelou. Who's going to dunk on that? Like, these yeah. are one of the essential poems. Like, it, it, Phenomenal it, Roman is, I think, probably read more than any other piece really? out there. Well, yeah, yeah really, the number yeah. of places people read Phenomenal Woman, yeah. It's probably one of the best known pieces out there. Like, these are mm-hmm. these are cultural references now. Yeah. Hmm. Auntie Vice just pretty much hit it on the head with that one. Okay. Okay. So so did you think of her um did you what did you think of the style of the poems themselves? Did you did you feel them as um as would would you feel them more in the classical sense or more of a modern sense of these poems? What do you mean? I could, so I can see how they were. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, Sean. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, you the, what I was going to say was, in the classical sense, like Shakespeare, not Shakespeare, well, close to Shakespearean, Chancellor, in that sense, where most people kind of look at Depot Society as being poetry and stuff. Or would you look at this more in a, in a modern sense, like um, Kit, Lamb, Lamb, Lamb. Yeah. Or would you see I mean, more? I could see this as being the precursor to, like, the Def Jam and Slam community poetry because you could just see I could see that I mean look at instance where she's calling herself phenomenally woman and everything she's not using these big artsy farty words she's just going right down to the bare bones of it calling herself a force to be reckoned with essentially Mm. and a lot of Slam poets do the same thing where they when they're out of their feeling not in their feelings about everything and when they're doing this piece where that's just calling for their own agency a lot of them describe themselves in almost the same exact way hmm. but do you think the line she basically pointed out you know, you you're, you don't have poetry unless you have emotion in it you think that was because she pointed out to tupac when they're at the fair saying that saying about um it's not poetry if you don't have no emotion in it what do you think about that line I agree with that. You, you tell me Charles Bukowski doesn't have emotion in his shit? 
It's, I mean, it's essentially all writing comes, stems from something and some kind of emotion and some kind of happenstance. Okay. What do you think about her? What do you think about uh, her acting? Vice. I kind of like what that like. Uh, so what do you think about, first of all, what do you think about Regina Givens acting as being Aisha? The, you mean it's Regina so- King now? Oh, yeah. Yes, Regina King. Yeah. Yeah, my bad. My bad. It's, again, it's very early in her career. She's gotten much better. Um, that was the character I could buy the least. Um, there were points that really did feel like she was just reciting the lines and not really there. And yeah, I just, it was not her best performance. Hmm. You know what the funny thing is? Three years later, she's in Jerry McGuire, and I could totally see her as that right. angry wife to like Cuba Gooding Jr., where it's like, <laughs> we're going to stay with the same shit deal, living in the same shit house, and all yeah, that shit. I mean, she really has grown, you know, amazingly well as an actress, but this was clearly really early, and it, it didn't go beyond much of what I've seen in local theater. Hmm. It's okay. really interesting, like now with hindsight, looking at where they're all at now, it's really right. funny. Really. Regina King just won some award for her oh, role yeah. in Watchmen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's, but, oh, she, she's a powerhouse yeah. now. Yeah. But look, look at her back in 1993, and we're talking about how it's, it's pretty much a deadpan role for her. Yeah. She, like, no, I didn't get much connection to that. Like, I didn't feel like she really connected with the role or was really able to bring it to life. It was like, Oh, I've got a chance. Yay. <laughs> um, yeah, I need some more acting lessons. Yay. Um, yeah, no, that was, I think, the weakest character in the whole thing. Really? Yeah, you, I thought you, it was Chicago. That's what I was going to say. He's Chicago. Who, Chicago. Put who down the goddamn the brush. Brushes his head and all that. And then. <laughs> like, no, I can I see Singleton saying, okay. He's going to be real cocky, real into his look. So we're going to have you constantly brushing your hair. And at one point, it just gets to be overkill. It's like, okay, we, we got your point. You got to drop this and like come up with something else. Like, yeah, I mean, I've been around the- guys who groom, but, but nobody is as constant as that character. <laughs> like, you yeah, begin yeah. to think he has lice. He's combing his head so much. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, see, yeah, I could buy, I can buy Regina's character because there's some emotion in her. I couldn't buy Chicago. I could not buy it. Well, well, Joe Torre is a comedian, technically. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think, I don't know if this was his first movie, but I know it's, 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 this is his early stages where he's coming up. And I mean, I think it was one of the interesting ones of him being have a serious role. So I was like, okay, well, your serious role is okay. I can see you going for it. Yeah. But the only thing I bought is when he got kicked in the nuts. okay let's let's go on that okay so (laughs) they actually had a a moment where he actually um um hit struck um regina uh aisha because aisha was basically as they as i've heard before back in the day he's called mouthing off Mm -hmm. and basically this is one of the points where they bring out the the idea of um battery against women or, or, or even domestic violence that most black men have been put at with women saying that, you know, that was, you know, a woman would heat you up to, uh, to your boiling point, get you angry. You should still not be able to hit them. And then this is one of those ideas where she kept on going 
even though someone said, hey, you should be quiet. And he was trying to tell her, you should be quiet. Shut up. No. She just kept on going, kept on going. And then basically, you know, said that I'm, I'm having sex with another dude. And that just pushed him over. So what do you think about, what do you think about his, um, what do you think about that um, whole thing? The whole, f- she came back at him anyway. You know, she, when she got hit, she was like, what the fuck? Oh yeah, she's a badass. She's a badass. <laughs> I mean, she took a few blows, but she she was throwing some back at him. <laughs> and then and then from there, she um Justice asked Lucky, "Hey, stop that." She's like, "Help him stop." I'm like, no, it's not my business. So she ran out there, kicked him in the nuts. Which I think he would. I think it should have been more fall into it so just a kick and the oh <laughs> I, I, I think there should have been more my nuts you know some holding drop to the ground but I think they they kind of kid so they can grab her and kind of choke her at the, at the moment so what I gotta say think? those are some balls of steel I mean I think was their point <laughs> well as you as she as they pointed out that um, Chicago couldn't keep it up long enough to satisfy any woman. See, what was yeah. the term they called him? Like a, they called him some term while they're in the gas station, like a two peat or something oh, like that. You talking about? Uh, they call him a preemie. Uh, preemie, there you go. <laughs> preemie, two minutes. Damn. <laughs> Damn. But do you do you think it was justified to leave him? Yeah. I would I mean, because they yeah. left. I remember they left Justice, you know, kicked her out, and he's like, you know, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and they drove off. But they came back. They didn't come back for Chicago. <laughs> okay, there's a different. Okay, I, I feel like not that I excuse any kind of emotional abuse or anything like that, but there's a difference between yelling at each other and then physically hitting someone, even though you were the one who was provoked, not doing you didn't initially intend to hit him. Like There's a huge difference. And it's not like they left him 100 stranded for 100 miles. <laughs> Two parts, they, it's no, on Lucky, Highway 1. There's no thing dude, near Lucky's anything character, on Highway Lucky's character was like, you got 15 miles to Oakland. Go, you can make it. If you're I'm on gonna, Highway 1, you don't got 15 miles to Oakland. There's no way you get from Highway 1 to Oakland in 15 miles. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna take Lucky's word for it and said he said he had 15 miles. It's cool, <laughs> even yeah. though it took them like apparently a whole day for yeah. 15 miles to get to Oakland. Well, and why the <laughs> fuck do you take Highway One? This is one of those things in a movie where it's, it's just route. just not believable. Like it's more you're, of a secret route. You're, no, but hey, they're, man, they're talking about movie. being, being on the timetable, and you go from Compton up Highway One. No, that's like a 17 fucking hour drive. Yeah, uh, it's a romantic movie. They had to make all the stops too. They went to the barbecue. Yeah. They went to the carnival. They oh, stopped yeah. at a beach twice. Hell yeah! But no, with the the fight scene, I can see like sitting there writing the movie. Like, okay, I want to address domestic violence in the black community. How do I work it in? And the th- scene felt real forced. Like, okay, this is how we're going to do it, and we're going to have them leave them there to make a statement that this is not okay, and you leave your bro by the side of the road. If he fucks mm-hmm. with a woman, like it's kind of a contrived way to make a commentary on domestic violence and just wedge it into the movie. 
the way. Well, the movie was very quick with a lot of its messages. Like, for mm-hmm. instance, if you look at uh, the picnic they crashed, they did an over-narration of the yeah. two two or three women, the the, the family, quote-unquote, right. they crashed to say the that aunties. they were part of the family. And the aunties were going, look at what the younger generation is like now. Mm-hmm. Without morals, this is what they are going to end right. up like and it, that i think that was that could have been a very powerful message in on itself for a lot of and i don't want to speak for any community that's not my own race but it looked, but it, it had a very strong message to it but then they glossed over that in like a minute like 20 seconds yeah. well they basically yeah they glossed over but they basically pointed out like look at this one here there's <laughs> always that little look of look at that one there she she said she's married but now she's she's flirting with that one guy we didn't mm-hmm. flirt we didn't flirt back in my day. So I'm not wearing her wit ring. <laughs> so in the movie, we had what one, two, three fights that Tupac got in. He got a fight. He got in a fight over when he was picking up his daughter at his baby mama's house. I mean, and it's and this is the thing that killed me. Tone Luck was there. You know, I thought like the Tone Luck, like you know, you see Tone Luck now. He's like you know, people think he's a softy, but back in the day, it's just like wow, that, that was a. He was a big dude. <laughs> was Mountain a big of a man, as they say. <laughs> you know what surprises me? For a guy that big and who, like, and his character was just pretty much steeped in the gangbang mentality of right. that movie. Well, and then they get, in, yeah, and they get into the movie, Tupac's lucky gets into a fight and he's just staying in there going, whatever. Yeah. He's like, I, you're I, not going to help your boy out? Well, it seemed like they weren't boys. They're basically, unfortunately, they have the same woman they have children from. So they, they kind of like got like I think they've just kind of went to like a mutual like yes you had sex with you have a child I have sex with you had a child but what killed me was she was still doing somebody in the back and nobody noticed that <laughs> and he come out like oh who, what the heck is this guy <laughs> uh, it's also funny the the aunt the mom. Uh, is actually um, she's an actual actress that plays um, um, Blackish as the grandma. So that was actually interesting. I forgot, I forgot her name. She looks so much younger there yes. too. Like you, yes, like yeah. The the whole really? black don't crack mm-hmm. is dismissed with her. Like because she on Blackish is like she aged. She's still kind of playing the same type of person. Right. But she, wow. Yeah. And I liked her character. I thought she was believable. Like I bought her. I bought the aunties. Oh yeah, no. Look, I know the aunties. Like yeah. Lucky's mom to... is yeah. my mom essentially. Is... Don't smoke <laughs> in the house. Don't cuss. I didn't raise no lazy ass idiot. <laughs> her name is her name is Jennifer Lewis. Yeah. And I, actually, Jennifer Lewis. She's done a she's done a lot of voice Ooh. acting and also there. She, she's done a lot, so yeah. it's very it's very interesting seeing her. I think they also were trying to in the in the hair in the hairdresser scene, the the um the um um gay gentleman was basically going through. I think he basically said he got a call from a doctor. I think they were trying to point out AIDS. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, subtle. It sounded like it. It sounded like it. Yeah. You know he didn't say it. They just kept. He's just. He's had this whole drama of his whole mind. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it was you, still pretty taboo back in the '90s to talk about too, though. Right. Well, yeah, but I mean, it would be hard to do a piece like this where you're trying to point out the different issues 
facing the black community without addressing AIDS in the black men's community. Mm. Because at that point it was just incredibly rampant. And, you know, um, I forget the stats on it, but I mean, you, you couldn't ignore that if you were trying to do a, a real representation of what were what was facing people at the time. Mm. You know, the funny thing is I feel like with John Singleton hailing right off the back of boys from the hood. I think maybe he wanted to tackle in the same issues, but he got probably got overly ambitious mm-hmm. in that. Well, and probably didn't have as much time to write and refine this. Yeah. You know, as the saying goes, you've got a lifetime for your premiere and you've got about two years for your second follow-up, which is why, you know, mm-hmm. sophomore projects tend to be much less developed and refined as your first one. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, and then with Boys in the Hood, he also had, what, Cuba Gooden Jr. as the main lead? Cuba, at the time, Major was pretty much... Yeah, he, I mean, he's already... Not that he was a veteran actor, but, I mean, he's already had a few movies under his belt by then, too. Yes. I'm not saying he's probably was easy to work with, but he already knew a lot of the roles and pitfalls of the movie industry and probably knew what needed to be done with a new director. Yeah. That is... In that sense, there was a part that that cracked me up. I just figured I just figured out the same the same thug that killed um, Morris Chestnut on Boys in the Hood with the red hat. He mm-hmm. shot Morris Chestnut. Mm-hmm. It's the same guy who shot Q-Tip. <laughs> was so it? Was like yeah. I'm pigeonholing you, motherfucker. So <laughs> oh you know you're getting into my movies is the murderer. Because remember you were saying, it's like, yeah, it's that guy. It's that guy that... that oh, my it. God. I think I'm going to look this up now. <laughs> yeah, I just looked it up, and I was like, oh, my God. It's Thug 1 and Thug 2. It's like, oh, it's the same guy. It's like, oh, they just kept on using him for killing half the people. <laughs> thug 1 and Thug 2 is a very different Dr. Seuss. <laughs> but, you know, so, oh, my God, it is. Yep. <laughs> so... With um, so I also saw that um, so with a lot of the like rap, um, like Michael Rappaport, he was on this. Mm-hmm. He was on the on the song. Yeah, the of course uh, he was. Uh, this one caught my attention was Michael Collier. Michael Collier, he's a he's a he's a famous actor, but he's also a good comedian. He was the panhandler. He was the guy hanging outside mm. when you know, come on, baby, you have any change? He's like, you better give me enough change, get the heck out of my day. <laughs> Simone. <Yeah. laughs> so, so one thing I noticed about this movie, you know, they had the basic premise of it was her to get to this convention in Oakland. That's the mm-hmm. only thing she needed to ride for. Forget from one place to another. But all the stuff that happened during the drive. It didn't. I mean, you think that it would come to a good conclusion as they get there? It just. I think it's kind of amped it up with the death of Lucky's brother, her mm-hmm. boss, not really giving a care what the, you know. It's like you got here. What do you think was going to happen? Did you going to be you'll be lovey dev with this guy? What's up? You know the funny thing with her boss was she came off as a complete motherly protective figure who had her shit handled in the beginning of the intro movie. Like that's what I got mm-hmm. from her. Then all of a sudden. When they meet up at the hotel, yeah. she's like the like she's just a typical gold digger essentially, like with how the movie plays her. But they completely did a one eighty with her character, and it's just well, seriously, 
I liked her character in the beginning. Like she seemed cool. She seemed yeah. And shit. And then all of a sudden, it's like, man, now you just gave her a stereotypical role, dude. Get the yeah. fuck out of here. And then they try to bring her back at the end with when the the, the ladies mm-hmm. um were battling each other or fighting mm-hmm. each other. So it's like, no, oh, no, no, I don't do that out here. Do that on the street. And like, mm, we've seen you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we see how you are. You be in somebody else's hair salon pulling that exact same shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with the cook, the cookout. Did what did y'all feel about the cookout? Did you feel it was um necessary to show? I mean, I know it was one they're just they're off things that they basically pulled up into. Or no, well actually let me revert revert that. What do you think about the trucker and her and him having a little issue with the trucker that he basically because he was trying to get gas, the trucker was like, No, no. And he's like, he basically said, Hey man, who's in your choosing your truck? And the guy looked and he pulled out of him and then just left and just stand there while talking with um Chicago and look at the guy, you like gar you like country? You like Gar Brooks? <laughs> just egging him on like what? <laughs> and I was kind of worried. I was like, does doesn't that thing have two pumps? What the heck? <laughs> like, well, why Chicago can- didn't. <laughs> Touche. Touche. <laughs> I was more looking at the gas. You're right. Chicago didn't have two pumps. Uh, yeah. This, so this. So the movie itself. Um, did you think the poet? Did you see the poetry itself escalating in the movie? I mean, because just like um, kindergarten um, teacher, where the where not only was the poet, but it was also the poetry that was kind of. Carrying the movies, um, carrying the movie in most places and stuff. Besides the obsession, um, did this do the same, or did it not? Personally, no. for me, I don't think it did. Okay. I, with kindergarten teacher, as much as I'm loath to hate that <laughs> poetry served some narrative form where it mm-hmm. foreshadowed a lot of things. With um, poetic justice, it really didn't because it, when they did those little narration points, like I don't think it did anything to serve the plot i it probably honed in more into justice's character that she's a strong independent woman but then but that's really about it it didn't really do much for the plot yeah it didn't do anything to move the plot forward i think you know they had to do well she's a poet so now we have to do some poetry around it and try to give her a little more depth Mm -hmm. um but yeah it didn't serve the same function as it did um with Patterson, Patterson with yeah. kindergarten teacher. It's, it's essentially the same way as Nightmare Before Christmas, except Nightmare Before Christmas used its own formatting to turn it into something a little bit more magical into its own identity. Whereas with Poetic Justice, it was just like, okay, but we got to remember she's a poet. <laughs> so it's just a fact. And, that know, the- <laughs> and it's such a missed moment, man. Like It's mm-hmm. kind of disappointing because it's a missed moment. Like It could have been such a cool thing to watch her and Lucky just creatively footballing together or something like that, or collaborating. Her, her work through her emotions mm-hmm. at the different points in the film. You could have done oh, it yeah. that way. Like, dig into, you know, the whole thing of hers is, well, it's not poetry without emotion. Okay, great. Let's see how this fits in with what you're processing then. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, she went through some traumatic shit at the beginning of the movie. I'm surprised she didn't write anything about that. Literally, you just watch someone get shot in front of you, regardless of whether that's your significant other or not. Mm. That's some pretty heavy shit. Well, and hearing Janet Jackson do Phenomenal Woman about not being cute, not being traditionally beautiful, I'm like, 
not a- by right like this is one of the most beautiful women out there and she's going yeah it's but I'm not. and it's like no no i don't know anybody who would look at you and not think damn that is a fine <laughs> woman and I mean, yeah. just her ass alone in the movie had a oh, star totally, yeah. role. Like, <laughs> so to hear her talk about, oh, they don't think I'm cute. No, because they're on their knees with their tongues hanging out. Like, come on. Like, yeah. No, I looked at it. I was like, oh, man, I forgot Janet Jackson. Banging body. Like, yes. Yes. Shit. She was fucking gorgeous in the 90s. I forgot that. Like, my old lesbian Twitter patients are coming out in that film. Twitter paid. <laughs> He's Twitter paid it. So, uh, so, with it being that, um, I like I like the one, I like the couple of jokes that they try to pop out. The first one was when Janet Jackson brought Lucky closer to her and she said, do you want to eat my punani? you want to taste my punani? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm pretty awesome. Over, he said, "Hey, Simone, he wants to taste my punani," and she went, <sighs> just blew her hair in his face. <laughs> so you need a breath mint. <laughs> I know that was funny. Um, when they were talking, um, was it the fact of talking with Chicago about you know he should break up with her, and just he's like, "So you need to do break up with her," but. So you don't do that. It's like, oh, it's like, nah, nah. He said, you know, he, you know, you know, he stutters when he basically lies. Like, I don't know what he's talking about, but it's all good. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, my favorite part during that whole thing was like, you paying, you're giving her money just to have sex with you, and he's like, no, man, no. I just like to treat her nice. Yeah. Um, and then also even even the fam the um, the family picnic scene when when the uncle well no the cousin cousin P they was basically going to the women say mm, to, and he's talking all that and they they're like then it's like yeah we distant cousins. <laughs> <laughs> what the thing is, and I never watched the Tupac movie at all oh, until really? I did not realize how charismatic Tupac could be i mean the moment he goes up or uncle pete goes up to them and he's like cousin and tupac just goes up to him and returns that cousin and then they're just going at it that little interchange that's a pretty charismatic moment on tupac's Mm -hmm. part and that chemistry he builds with jan jackson i don't i wonder what it could have been like if he were still alive now and he was allowed to continue his acting career could it be refined Oh yeah, I, I'm more willing to believe it. He would have been a better actor than Ice Cube could have been. Well, and I mean, you look at Ice Cube, who didn't feel a way to be a romantic lead. Now he's starring in kids' movies, right? And uh, yeah, I, so you know, they grow, they change. But here's the thing, though: to Ice Cube typecasts himself. I can't think of a specific movie that's not that I don't remember fondly that doesn't involve Ice Cube in a stoner comedy or some <laughs> kind of like. Gangster flick. Like I, I'm being serious here. Like anything else outside of those two specific areas, I don't look at any roles he's played fondly. I'll remember every fucking song he's done. I'll remember every diss mm-hmm. he's done. But other than that, like movie wise, not gonna remember fondly. He did Anaconda. 
Yeah, I'm going to remember that one, though. <laughs> that one I'm going to remember. I take it back. That was pretty, it was a pretty bad movie, but it was a good bad, though. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so, so knowing that Ice Cube was basically supposed to go from this role to, from, from, um, Boys in the boy, from Boys in the Hood, where they play a supporting role to being the lead in this, and he said, "No, nah, I can't do this." Do you feel that Tupac was a better choice, or would you would it have been better with Tyrese? Or because you know Tyrese was in Baby Boy, would it have been better with Tyrese, or would it have been better with you know another person? I mean, I know I don't know if I really. Well, let me let's go with that first. How do you feel about his role to in this whole thing? Because you did see his charismatic, his charismatic about it and stuff. What do you feel about his, his his acting? Too premature or no? I mean, I think he's coming into it. I think he was one of the better ones in really? here okay. for for the, of the newer actors in this. I mm-hmm. think he did a better job than a lot of them. Oh, yeah. um, I think there was something believable about Tupac when he played this role. I mean. I could totally believe him being that loving dad and taking it on his mom's words of, I didn't raise an idiot son and I'm not taking care of your daughter for you. And he's trying to figure it out. Even down to the moments where he's literally crying after he finds out that Jamil has died. Mm-hmm. He's trying to cope with it. Like I believe those tears. Mm-hmm. And if you're to tell me that nineties ice cube was going to pull this off. Nah, nineties nah. <laughs> ice cube. I'm still going to see in Friday and boys in the hood. <laughs> Uh huh. Uh-huh. And Tyrese, it, it was a great role for him in Friday. Yes, they they were great roles for him. But I'm not. You're, if you, but if you're going, he's going to be playing some romantic ass lead. It's going to be. I'm only going to forever see him in some corny ass movie like mm-hmm. Are We There Yet? Or um, wow. Or what's that one movie? Like I think it was Are We There Yet? And then Tyrese Gibson, Tyrese fucking Gibson, dude. No, Tyrese Gibson <laughs> only plays one role, and that's Tyrese Gibson. <laughs> True. True, that is true. But did you, so was the was the romance believable? Because I think it was kind of it was kind of like pushed in. They were yeah, trying I, like I me. Mean, like I could buy that she is so broken hearted and fucked up over seeing her last guy shot that that's right. why there's no chemistry. Right. Like that's how I kind of filed it. Is oh well, that's why there's no chemistry. She's still trying to get over all this mm-hmm. shit. Like I thought it was a little cliche and hunky dory. Yeah, and but like, I think there were some moments where I could believe it. And the idea that you're going to fall in love on a drive up the coast—I just, I know that drive. It's one of those things <laughs> I have a hard time letting go of. <laughs> I'm like, and if you hit all those places, that's like a three-day fucking drive. Wow. Of one and it's <laughs> no traffic in LA. Bullshit. Um, <laughs> 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 I'm telling you, it's those things in the movie. They're small, but like, no, you don't, you can't do that in a day. It's still fucking daylight through most of it. Yeah. Uh uh-uh, uh. Not even Dude, on the longest goddamn day out, of the year. Yeah. What trips me out is like they, what, in all, in one day, they got into a picnic and a carnival. Dude, just doing like the bare minimum for both of those things is like an hour and a half to two hours. And you're telling right. me they still got to Oakland. In one day. Well, and if you'd go up one, then you got to go across either San Bruno or through San Francisco huh? to get to Oakland. Mm-hmm. No, that is not happening in one fucking day. Like, I'm not believing you. Yeah, not in the 90s, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, 
okay. barely do that in a fucking plane. Like, come on. <laughs> okay. Okay. But my thing is, was the was the romance believable? I mean, like you saying, like you told me, Auntie Vice, about that one, the one part at the 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 um, ocean where mm-hmm. they basically get their first kiss mm-hmm. and stuff. And I didn't. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah, but sweet. was was that good? You know, I can. For me, there wasn't a lot of connection there, mm-hmm. but you know it. I just filed it as uh, she's still getting over all this stuff and hasn't worked it out. And a few slam pieces later, maybe she'll be ready to fall in love. Evan? Yeah. I think there were moments. I think there were like legitimate moments where they could have like had a base attraction for each other. If it, but to tell me that they, oh, we're in love with each other in a fairytale way in one day, bullshit. Bull fucking shit. <laughs> Like, I could see how they would be attracted to each other. They're attractive people. You'd be crazy not to be attracted to either of them. Do you but... smile at me like that? Fuck yeah, I'm there. But um... oh yeah, remember yeah. The, the whole thing started off with what she did to him. He's trying to retaliate on her mm-hmm. by you know calling her you know you know bitch and all this nonsense. Uh, yeah, and then throwing but... her out the car. I mean, I don't see a. I don't. See... Most right. people have grudges hold a grudge and I was thinking that he's holding the grudge on this and she's holding the grudge because who the heck she's with so I could have saw that to the whole movie just holding the grudge until but even but even the fact of him even the fact that they had the kiss mm-hmm. they get to Oakland they find out his his cousin's dead and then he still has to drive you know from everything else going on the tragedy going on he still has to drive them to the convention and then him being stone cold, it's like if if it wasn't for you, I would have been up here earlier, and I would have saved him. Well, and it's not even like they were stopping off to see her family. Oh. Hmm. Like it's like no, no, no. You made those decisions, bro. Like that was your family you stopped to see. You decided right. to take one. That was your decision. True, but did you think though him coming back into the fold? I mean, they they always. Somehow they always do have a rom well rom coms do it, but I know romantic movies they always have that they didn't have like a long period of of they always got that long period right. of monologue where they you know they do little things at the hair they're gone mm-hmm. for two weeks the person's doing something and then they come back together and like oh how are you doing mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have to like come back and say oh I think we should rekindle ourselves and it's like I don't think that was necessary yeah, he's gone <laughs> overnight and then it's like. Oh, sorry, I blamed you for my cousin's death. Doesn't even apologize, but yeah, let's go back and like fall in love after I just bawled you out over my dead cousin. And, <laughs> you know, I didn't interfere in your girl getting beat. You had to go and kick my boy in the balls. And like, and then with the two in the back, with Aisha and Chicago arguing in the back all the way, who falls in love listening to that bullshit? Dude, yeah, like, that's super off. And you're telling me, even for two minutes, that's not awkward, and you can't hear them in the back, yo. Right. Although when they're when they're mashed and in the back, I figured out why all my mail packages show up dinged up up here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but no, there's just there's a lot of stuff like that that made it very hard to suspend the disbelief long enough to buy into the romance. Hmm. Like if I'm listening to two people go at each other, like Chicago and Aisha. Even with you in the front seat, I'm going to have a hard time feeling romantic feelings. 
Like I'd be turning around with a goddamn squirt bottle halfway through and squirting them off. Like, <laughs> well, but, but they did have, you know, they had a curtain, so they closed up the curtain. Let them. You're still like, here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because the curtain covers everything. Ask anybody living in a New York share that curtain. Yeah, that makes the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> All right, Amanda. I'm talking to you and your little. My sister and I wow. had that in New York. You had to throw her out in the bus. Wow. Hey, she threw me under the bus because of that night. I'll throw her under the bus here. Wow. <laughs> confession. Confession. Damn. I'm glad she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> what are you, you talking about? This will be the day. Oh, I'm totally going to tell her if you guys. Yeah. <laughs> this will be the day. Okay. Then I'm going to show it to you. <laughs> like fashion unique, yeah. <laughs> so in this part, we're going to the subject of snap judgment. Now, on snap judgment, we basically do a three we do a three part judging system on three snaps. This movie is excellent. It is phenomenal. Two snaps, it's not bad, but it's not that good. One snap is trash. I could give it zero snaps, but nobody would just go with one snap. And you got an increment of 0.5 snap, a half a snap. So, Auntie Vice, what is your snap judgment? Two oh, snaps. Judgment. Two snaps. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, there's a lot of problems with it, but, you know, it's okay. Not a total waste of the afternoon. <laughs> it's not sphere it's not black knight it's not the oh wow oh, hurts <laughs> marvin what's your snap judgment i'll give it two it's it's a charming little movie if you're willing to suspend your disbelief i mean there's moments where i could really get into i mean like on tv there's some problems but it's not glaring enough for me to completely get take it out of it for me okay i can see i'll give it two and a i'll give it two two um i'm more in the one and a half because i'm kind of thinking this like you pointed out the poetry didn't really move the movie so it was kind of the movie itself was on its own the poetry was just like a, a seasoning that was thrown in but they kept on trying to use it as a as a way to um Use it to to make little monologues or or even little parts where they're doing beast scenes and they use the poetry to kind of tire it in, like how she basically is driving through through the town and then kids are getting arrested (laughs) and the cops are holding the kids down and she's doing her poet and her poetry is going through and you know these guys getting arrested going you're alone I'm all alone you're alone it's like okay yeah so I'll, I'll give it more of a one and a half. The poetry itself was you know, the poetry stuff is good, but it was only two poems that are being real were used on it. But it was only it was basically seasoning. The movie itself could have just they could have lived without it. So I mean, calling it poetic justice, not too poetical. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot about justice either. Well, it's just her name. That's probably I, it. I know. I mean. I see. We see what you did there, movie. You were trying to play with those words. Good on you. But there was nothing poetic justice about this. <laughs> so just a lot of things going on there. Like, hmm. And like you pointed out, Auntie Vice, is there's a lot of things that I think he tried to throw into this movie. You know, uh, mm-hmm. 
um, AIDS, um, domestic violence, um, cops, um, the cops, um, um, brutality of cops and stuff, mm-hmm. and how they keep on, you know, and even the even the helicopter, the dirty birds running around, yeah. all this on the flat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like even even the points of my Angelo having this moment of how the um, the um, young kids are able to maneuver mm-hmm. in this society because of what their parents did to them and stuff. So it's, it's a lot of stuff that they were trying to put, you know, put together something to make into this movie. So like, yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah. So, it definitely had potential. It could have been something. Mm-hmm. So here's the question. Would you basically refer this movie to a poet or a non-poet? Uh, or both? More to a non-poet. Most poets are going to know the two poems by Maya Angelou. Yeah. And I don't think they add enough to the film to say this is great for poets to watch. Um, and honestly, by now, and being in the poetry community, every time I hear a phenomenal woman, it's like hearing Pachelbel's Canon in D or Ina Klein and Knock music when you go to a concert or, you know, Beethoven's it's pretty much the Fernalee civil. Yes, exactly. And it's like, yeah, it's great. And I've heard it 5,000 times. And, you know, cool. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think it's so much for poets. But, you know, you're looking for a cute little 90s rom com. Eh. You want to see Tupac and Janet? Sure. Wouldn't call it a comedy, would you? I mean, it had a comedy tragedy moment, so I'm not, not sure yeah. if I want to call it. It had some comedy. comedy moments. What are you talking about? They a had couple. the whole, They made fun of like Chicago mercilessly in this movie. It was, yes, it did. There's, yeah, that was the comedy of this movie. And the cousin! <laughs> had about as many comedic moments as 27 Dresses, so I lump it into the same category. Whoa. Mm, <laughs> I have two dudes looking at me like that. Nah, because nah, right. right. 27 Dresses, I mean, there weren't, <laughs> no one dropped a body every three or more, <laughs> three, four times. Like, oh, oh what was beat this guy up? <laughs> but white girls don't drop bodies in, in rom-coms. <laughs> if they did, that's I want that rom-com. Okay, we'll look for that one. <laughs> I mean, the closest you get is Hallmark stories where you've been oh, beaten no. and raped by a clown and then you have to find oh, love again. God. <laughs> <laughs> a clown. Lifetime movies. Oh been. my god. The Hallmark movies. Oh, good grief. <sighs> All right. So so basically what you both pointed out, this is a non-poet. The two poems itself makes this a non-poet movie. Can really recommend it for a non-poet. The, they, 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 they are technically the, as you both pointed out, this is the Furlan uh, movies. Basically, this is almost the song. This is almost the Mozart um, moment every time. Beethoven, yes. All right. So, I think we shed enough light on this movie and stuff. I've we gave it. All together, two point two two point five. So we gave it a five point five snap judgment rating. But what do you think about it, people? Do you like this movie? Do you dislike this movie? Is this one for you? Because this became one of those things that became a cult classic with a lot of African Americans. But did it hold up to your? Did it hold up to your thought? as the 90s was back in the days. Does it hold up now? Or is this movie out to date? Let us know. 
put in the comments. Share, like, subscribe to Real Poetry. I am your host, Sharon Smith. I am with Auntie Vice. I am with Marvin. We are going to let y'all go. Our next movie, you know what? I don't know what our next movie should be. What do you think our next movie should be? I'll break out the list. The list. (laughs) The list, the list, the list, the list. Tell me what is next. The list, the list, the list, the list. I don't think you're impressed. Okay. The list says, so we got Slam, We Are Animals, uh, Poetry, Naruda, Dead Poet Society, Okay, and black um blue car. Why don't we just go with um haha and um love jones? I'll go with those seven movies. Which one of those feel do you feel like you want to do next? Marvin, you got a call? Hey, I'm for whatever. Yeah, I'm pretty open this week. <laughs> All right. My brain has been thin since we watched the kindergarten teacher. Yeah. That okay. took a while to scrub that shit out. Let's 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 go back and scrub it harder. Let's watch We Are Animals. Okay. All right. So we're gonna watch We Are Animals next. So we will watch We Are Animals next. I am gonna try to get a guest for the next for our next episode. I didn't get one this time, but eh, Lame. I know. And I'm going to put out the I'm basically waiting to put out the Mulan one because I think y'all wanna redo it. No. I, I'm glad Marvin has had his stage. Unless you want to get Diana and Stacy G to talk about it. Oh, we're totally. I'm getting the tribe on this, so we can just yeah, yeah. burn this to the ground. Oh. There you go. Wow. Okay. Well, then Mulan will be on hold, and then we'll get that one recorded and put on here. Once again, everyone, thank you for coming. Please come to our next episode where we'll be talking about we are animals. But please go to all the rest of them. We did do um, Nightmare on Nightmare on Crib for Christmas. We did um, <laughs> Kitty Garden Teacher. <laughs> and we did Patterson. And now we have done Poetic Justice. If you got a movie that you want to talk about, please put it into the comments and let us know. I am Sharon Smith. That's Marvin. That's Auntie Vice. We'll see y'all soon. Peace. Peace.